Welcome, listeners, to this week's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection. Good morning, Marion. Good morning, Dave. How are you this morning? This oh, frosty, chilly bad. morning. It is a very frosty, chilly Minus morning. Minus 5.6, apparently, yeah. according to the yeah. radio. And then, I mean, TV, and they're not even up here. You know? mm. Reporting sympathetically from Melbourne, they were. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was here. I was in it. I felt it. Mm. So we've got an interesting program coming up today. We'll be looking at the new uh, fixed site pill testing service that's coming up in Canberra. Which is great, really, and isn't it? We're looking a little bit at elections that have happened recently overseas and how that may affect the war on drugs in other countries. Um, and we also look at a case recently where um, there was a mass overdose in New Zealand. Mm. Anyway, we will start, as we usually do, with a song. And this first song <laughs> is the Gaslight Anthem with um, Handwritten. You're listening to Community Radio 2XX. 98.3. 98.3. It's 10.36. You're listening to News from the Drug Warfront. And News from the Drug Warfront reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. And such as... The contents of news from the drug war front, um, broadcast and podcast, may not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma and the Connection focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma exists to promote the health and human rights of people who use drugs and people who use drug treatment services. Mm -hmm. And News from the Drug War Front reports on many of the effects of the drug war and the sacrifices that many people have made over the years. Yeah, and we um, pay respect to them, don't we? Yeah, yeah to, um, to what's essentially been a pointless war, which seems to be winding down in many countries now. Um, other countries, it's getting worse. Indeed. And you can't really tell which one is which. I mean, we would just mm. hope that there'll be some change of direction in Australia. Yeah. Simply, sim I mean, if we're having a fixed site pill testing um, unit in the ACT, that makes sense. Yeah. Zed has gone from the Senate. Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of difference because the federal government and the ability of the ACT government... Anyway, look, I need to go on with karma stuff, not discussing this, but it's really important that, you know, that the federal government stops interfering with the way ACT runs its government. That's yeah? right. It's yeah. governance, and mm -hmm. it, that's what it's been doing Yeah, for the last, what, 10 years? Mm. And it? these are popular decisions. Absolutely. This is what the electorate wants. Well, the wants. right to die legislation yeah. was a refer basically a referendum and, and we said yes, mm. we'd like that, and Sazel just said no. Yeah. So it was his personal preference. Mm. Even the Liberal Party here in the yeah. ACT mm. agrees with the right to die legislation. Anyway, it's a moral... The, the morality of it is a problem. 
Mm. I need to go on with the karma information and listeners need to know. Karma and the Connection provide a wide range of services such as advocacy, peer treatment support, education, art therapy, support groups, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and the Connection are harm reduction services. They're located, co-located at Belcolin Church's Centre on Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Contact can be made, this is landline contact on 6253 3643 and or by emailing karma at info at karma, this is all one word, info at karma.org.au. Karma can assist people with a wide range of services, including advocacy and advice around opioid maintenance treatment, accessing and being paid to treat your hepatitis C in conjunction with the HEP ACT, <coughs> excuse me, and the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive program, um, helping people to cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination directed towards them as drug users, which is just monumental, helping people to access detox, rehab and other alcohol and treatment services if they want them. Let me make that very clear. We're not there just to direct people towards treatment services, merely to make sure that people stay alive until they reach a point in their lives where they understand what they're doing and make a choice, either to continue using drugs or to stop using drugs, and then help them to continue doing that, whatever. But staying alive is the most important part. Uh, so we help people to cope with, yeah, I said that, helping people to access detox, rehab and other alcohol, tobacco and other drug treatment services if they want them. A walk-in health clinic with a doctor and nurse from 10am till 2pm every Wednesday. Is that on tomorrow, Dave? Sorry, which is that? The, the doctor clinic? Yeah, yes, the it clinic certainly is. Tomorrow? Yes, yes. yes, the doctor okay, will be well, back Because it week. wasn't on last week. I yep. think the doctor wasn't there last week. So tomorrow, that's on. No appointments necessary. Peer education workshops. Dave's doing one this afternoon, yeah? That's Two right. o'clock, the yep. naloxone treatment. And I know Mel is out there going, everybody, every manager of McDonald's should be having a <laughs> naloxone training course and should have naloxone ready to... Go and save people who are having a shot in the toilet. So that's uh, not necessarily something Karma agrees with, having a shot in McDonald's toilets, but certainly they should do naloxone training because I think everybody should. Anyway, The Fix, which is a series of one-hour paid workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction, particularly... Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, First Nations people. No, that, that's Murugadi, which is the oh, Aboriginal. I thought the fix was yeah. was um, connections as well. No, isn't? No. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Excuse me. Providing assistance and advocacy for people who are experiencing social issues or having trouble navigating social services. They're so the connections harm reduction peer education program is Murugadi, and uh -huh. that's starting this week. Uh, it's for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. And the connection team also offer all the same assistance as Karma, but in culturally appropriate fashion. It is tailored specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. So if you're having problems associated with alcohol, tobacco and other drug use and don't know where to get help, or even if you just want to have a chat about your use with someone who can empathise with your experience 
And who won't judge you for it? Give Karma a call. That number again is 6253343. If we're unable to help you, then we will try to find someone who can. And Karma will be running the Lock Zone training at 2 o'clock this afternoon at the Early Morning Centre in Civic. There are some places left, but they're limited, so please call 6253343 or speak to Early Morning Centre staff to book your place. Uh, naloxone training will also be held at one o'clock next Wednesday at Ainsley Village. Once again, places are limited, so call six two five double three six four three or email info at karma.org.au to book your place. Yeah, and I just think everybody should do the naloxone training. I just think mm-hmm. everyone should have it. Yeah. Um, all users, certainly, mm-hmm. but you can't give naloxone to yourself. So really, you should... Well, you can in theory, but well, people don't tend to. <laughs> but would you want... I mean, when you're yeah. dead, you can't. And effectively, no. that's what happens to people, mm. Dave. So yep. you know that. So what am I telling you for? Anyway, that that's the point, really. Just get trained. Make You can... Yeah, get in touch with Damo or Dave on 62533643. Get trained in, the, um, in how to apply naloxone. Either the injectable kit or the nasal spray, which is what people are using these days, principally. Um, but it's really important that we know how to use it and how to save a life and just how to do heart, lung respiration, yeah? Yeah. How to keep someone alive until yeah, the ambulance get there. Very important first aid skills. Indeed. Okay, so we're going Off to, to local stories. Yep. yep, I know. So... Um, our first one is the local one, which is really exciting. Um, Australia's first fixed site pill testing to launch in Canberra with hopes of sparking a national initiative. This is by Tori Shepherd from The Guardian on the 25th of the 6th, 2022. Australia's first fixed pill testing site will be up and running within weeks and the organisers hope it could be the start of a national program. A pill-testing trial at Canberra's Groove and the Moo Festival in 2019 potentially saved seven lives after the program detected toxic, quote, that's in quotes, chemicals mixed into the drugs. An earlier coronial inquest into festival deaths recommended pill-testing along with other harm reduction measures. The six-month fixed-site pilot in Canberra will be an Australian first and one of only a handful in the world. It will be run by Harm Reduction Australia in conjunction with the Australian National University and local health service provider directions. Karma will also be... That's good to hear. ...donating a staff member, I gather. Oh, that's great. I'm pleased. They should do too. I think that that's... It's good to hear that directions are there, but I just think Karma should be there for... The... the, well, it's the most appropriate mm. agency, basically, to be there, yeah. a peer, um, peer-focused agency for harm reduction perspective. Um, harm reduction, mm, the CBD site, funded by ACT Health, will open two nights a week from the 19th of July. Harm Reduction Australia President Geno Van Bucker, good old Geno. He's been in first in everything, really, hasn't he? He's been always heading up agencies mm. that have gone in head first. He's terrific. Pointed to the, su- the success of needle and syringe exchange programs, which were controversial when first implemented, but are now widely accepted. 
and have saved thousands of lives by preventing overdoses and HIV infections and hepatitis C infections too. Mm. Um, more recently, um, Mr. Van Bur- pill testing is likely to become similarly normalised, he said, after this initial trial. Mr. Van Bucker told media, quote, we'll be able to offer the fit site as an ongoing service. Then, depending on demand, we might increase the number of nights we're available. What we want is to see other governments have a se- having a serious look at this. We hear politicians say there's no evidence. There's truckloads of evidence. That's the end of the quote. A review of the Groove and the Moo trial found that it provided good health information to people planning to use illicit drugs. It found people's behaviours and attitudes changed, quote, in a way likely to reduce harm and also detect a, detected a highly dangerous chemical in circulation. So Pill Testing Australia's Dr David Caldercott called it a real watershed where a jurisdiction had found, quote, the political courage to follow the advice and the evidence. Caldercott is a long-time advocate for pill testing and an emergency consultant at Canberra's Calvary Hospital. And Pill Testing Australia, or PTA, is convened by Harm Reduction Australia, or HRA. Caldercott said that the site would also be available for injecting drug users. As a quid pro quo, he said, his team will be able to gather information about drug use patterns and in return, we'll keep them safe, he said. Mm. There's stuff going on out there that we need to get our fingers all over. Some of that will be (laughs) identified by chatting with people who inject drugs. I don't know if he meant it that way, Marion. (laughs) It's a really attractive turn of phrase, though, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to get my fingers all over that. that. Yeah, that's great. Some of that will be identified by chatting with people who inject drugs and some by people who go to music festivals. With fixed sight, we can chat to people who go to music festivals all year round and for for the first time to people who inject drugs. Caldecott said whether or not the program gets rolled out nationally was down to political will. One of the things that's really interesting about this is it represents a jurisdiction accepting what is effectively universal advice and expertise and making policy out of it, he said. Whether other states pick it up depends on the political appetite of other jurisdictions to protect their citizenry in a similar way. The expertise has always said this is what we should be doing, but the real watershed is in the political courage to allow oneself to follow the advice and the evidence. It's our political counterparts who deserve the credit. A post-election honeymoon period in other states could be the perfect time to take the political risk, he said. Mm. Meanwhile, Gino Vumbarka said that the festival pill testing site had been derailed both by COVID and by insurers who balked at the idea. Mm. The fixed site will help a broader range of people than just those who buy festival tickets, he said. Just because there were no festivals during the pandemic, it doesn't mean that people stopped using MDMA or ecstasy and other party drugs. While the festival pill testing is good because there are people who might use drugs opportunistically, it's only limited access to people with tickets and it's not equitable. Earlier this month, the ACT government announced plans to decriminalise small amounts of illicit drugs as part of a suite of harm reduction policies, which include the pill testing pilot. A 2020 survey found that two-thirds of Australians are in favour of festival pill testing, and Mr Vumbaka 
concluded, this is a proven method. Politicians don't get how widespread the support for it is. No, and they don't get how widespread the, the use of drugs is either. They mm. really just haven't got their fingers all over that. Yeah. But it's just sensible. It just makes sense mm. to have a fixed site. I hope it's accessible enough to pe- for people, but I'm really pleased that it's happening. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Mm. We some music. Yes. Um, so we're going to have some red hot chilli peppers now, and this song's called Parallel Universe. God, talk about drag it out. <laughs> that was the red hot chilli peppers <laughs> with Parallel Universe. You're listening to news from the drug war front. Big long finish. That's what it yep. was. Okay, so we're over in New Zealand now. New Zealand grossly underprepared as deadly drug fentanyl causes a string of overdoses. This is from Tess McClure in The Guardian on the 27th of June. I bet they were. So New Zealand is grossly underprepared for the arrival of fentanyl, experts say, after the deadly drug was discovered circulating in the community for the first time, causing a string of overdoses. Twelve people were hospitalised or required urgent medical care in the Wairarapa, something like that, region this weekend after accidentally overdosing on fentanyl that had been sold as cocaine. Police said it marked the first time that the powdered drug had been found circulating in the New Zealand drug market. Mm. So far, New Zealand has escaped the toll of fentanyl, a highly dangerous synthetic opioid that kills tens of thousands of people in the US each year. As arrival highlights that the country lacks crucial protections against overdose, according to Sarah Helm, the Executive Director of Drug and Research Advocacy Organisation of the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Mm. Those protections include access to fentanyl testing strips and naloxone, the treatment which can reverse opioid overdose, and is now widely available in the US and Australia. Naloxone is not publicly funded in New Zealand, is prescription only and costs about $92 for a single-use kit. See how lucky we are? Mm. So Helm said New Zealand is grossly underprepared for a fentanyl outbreak because, in particular, of lack of overdose prevention measures, including access to naloxone. If this indeed turned into a fentanyl adulteration of our drug supply, we don't have the tools in place to help prevent overdose. It's a miracle that those dozen people have survived the overdose and that we actually had naloxone to be able to respond to them. Absolutely. It would have been a major surprise. Look, I might just skip through this. Police say that of the patients who overdosed this weekend, at least six were unconscious and in serious condition when emergency services arrived. Several were classed by ambulance as being status one or critical conditions. We're going to have to go to the news in a minute, so I'll just get this finished. McDonald's said, who's the copper? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're very concerned it's a dangerous drug. It's responsible for killing literally hundreds of thousands of people in America. Um, that dead said that they have been killed. The dose rate between synthetic opioids and cocaine is stark. But we're for- talking a few grains of salt can be the equivalent of an appropriate overdose. Mm. Fentanyl has been detected in the country, this New Zealand, once before by a drug testing agency in a sample of heroin in 2018. That's four years ago. A record high of 107,622 people died of drug overdoses in the US in 2021, according 
to Centres for Disease Control and Prevention, the surge in deaths was fuelled primarily by fentanyl, which accounted for about 70% of the uh, fatalities. Mm. And that just makes sense that they should just go straight to... I mean, God, it's a surprise, cocaine, fentanyl. Yeah. It's mm. just, who would think? Well, we're just about to go for the news, but yep. we might have a bit more of a chat about that afterwards. Okay. National Radio News. Hello, I'm Emily Minnie. The first wave of census data is in and it shows Australia's population has doubled in size over the last 50 years and we're more culturally diverse than ever. In 1971, the census counted just under 12.5 million people. Half a century later, there are more than 25 million people in Australia. The census also points to more than 1 million residents arriving in Australia from 2017 to 2021. And for the first time, fewer than half of Australians identify as Christians. The number of Australians who said they had no religion rose to nearly 40%. Concerns have been raised about Australia's aged care facilities, with the sector warning older Australians will not get the care they need as staff shortages continue. A new report by the Committee of Economic Development in Australia warns the sector is facing a staff shortage of 35,000 workers. It's prompted a push for the federal government to do more to entice workers from overseas. Interim CEO of the Aged Community Care Providers Association, Paul Sadler, says the pandemic has accelerated the crisis in the sector. We've had international borders closed, but we've also seen the pandemic take its toll on those working in the sector with thousands of staff leaving or planning to leave due to low pay, burnout or simply finding better job opportunities elsewhere that are less pressured. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the rise of China means countries in the Asia-Pacific have to work together to ensure security. The Prime Minister has flagged increased military cooperation between Australia, New Zealand, Japan and South Korea when he meets the so-called Asia-Pacific Four as part of the NATO summit. Mr Albanese says China's actions both in the Asia-Pacific and across the globe show a need for action. We've seen actions from China against Lithuania, for example. Uh, China has been prepared uh, to make sanctions not just against Australia, uh, but to be more aggressive in its stance in the world. And it requires uh, the world uh, to move towards uh, peace and security. The New South Wales Premier says it would be inappropriate for him to step in and prevent John Barillaro from taking his new position. Former Deputy Premier John Barillaro was appointed New South Wales US Trade Commissioner in New York City. The appointment has been criticised by the Labor opposition, who says it's a case of jobs for mates. An independent review has been ordered, but Premier Dominic Perrottet told Nine Radio he would not stop Mr Barillaro from taking the job. But ultimately, I think the, uh, my job is always to follow proper process. My job is to make sure um, that um, the right thing is done uh, at both a public service and political level. Overseas and in the United States, a passenger train travelling from Los Angeles to Chicago has struck a dump truck and derailed in a remote area of Missouri, killing three people and injuring dozens more. Authorities say two of the people who died were on the Amtrak train and one was in the truck. Authorities say seven cars derailed.
To sport and in cricket, Australia want their pace bowlers to stand up as a point of difference in Sri Lanka with Mitchell Stark ready to roll out the same blueprint that helped him star in 2016. Australia will enter Wednesday's first test in Gull with Stark and Pat Cummins as the two frontline quicks, while Cameron Green will act as a genuine third seamer. The majority of the focus in goal remains on spin as Australia consider whether to partner John Holland or Mitchell Swepson with Nathan Lyon. National Radio News, produced by Charles Sturt University, the Community Radio Network, and supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You're listening to news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, here on people-powered radio 2XXFM 98.3. Who was that, that? That was Rise Against with Tragedy Plus Time. Okay. Equals comedy. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that right? Retrospectively, probably. Yep. Let's go back to that um, article anyway and yeah. go a bit slower through the other half that I didn't do, hey? Yep. Yeah. So the police said, this is after it came to it's a miracle that dozen people have survived the overdose. So the people in, the New, in New Zealand that didn't yep. die... Police say that of the patients who overdosed this weekend, at least six were unconscious and in serious condition when emergency services arrived. So I'd already said this before. Several were classed by ambulance staff as being status one or critical condition. That means nearly dead, gang. Detective Inspector Blair MacDonald, manager of the National Drug Intelligence Bureau, said that New Zealand police did not have their own supplies of naloxone and had relied on non-profit New Zealand Drug Foundation for a donation of the kits to use in case of further overdoses in the region. Helm said there was only one New Zealand retailer selling fentanyl test strips and that the country's two non-profit providers, New Zealand Drug and the Needle Exchange, had uh, only had around a 1,000 testing strips between them. McDonald said police had brought into the area from other cities, had been brought into the area from other cities to investigate the drug's possible source. He said it was too early to know how widespread the drug could be in the community and urged anyone who might have bought drugs, particularly what they believed to be cocaine, to have it tested. Um, drug testing is legal in New Zealand. That's crazy. Mm. Uh, McDonald said, we're very concerned, and I had said this before, that it's, uh, it's res- this is a dangerous drug. It's responsible for killing literally hundreds of thousands of people in America. The dose rate between synthetic opioids and cocaine is stark. We're talking a few grains of, grains of salt can be the equivalent of an appropriate dose or an overdose. Over time, New Zealand Drug Foundation expected contamination of drugs with fentanyl to increase, according to Helm. It's, quote, safe to presume that in coming coming years we will only see a proliferation of adulterated drug supply, she said. Fentanyl has been detected in the country once before, I did say this before, by a drug testing agency and a sample of heroin in 2018. And then the American statistics, which are enormous. Yeah. And still growing, which is just ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Um, 107,622 people died mm. of drug overdose last year in, yeah. in the United States. And, I mean, how many people die every year from dr- the drug war? It, yes. You know, in cartel wars in Mexico. Um, you know, it must run to hundreds of thousands. Um, yes, people then, who are just murdered. 
And it's crazy, yeah, isn't it? And in a lot of cases, there are people who have absolutely nothing to do with the drug market. They're simply collateral damage. And that's what they're ta- that's what they're counted mm. as. Yeah. You know, collateral damage is such a throwaway expression. Mm. But yeah. what it actually means is women and children or just uninvolved others. Yeah. Um, mm. And that's hardly an appropriate way to treat your population or to yeah. care about your population. If they're mm. the people that vote you in, you need to give a bugger about them. Yeah. 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 And make sure that they're looked after. Mm. I think this story goes to illustrate how fortunate we are in Australia that we now have yeah. um, a naloxone program. So if well, drugs start to become... You get your naloxone free for a kick-off, yeah. which is really important. And if drugs start turning up, which are adulterated with fentanyl, and there's, there's and been we, a little bit in Australia, but not a huge We can't assume it's not going to happen. No, we can't assume it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, the stuff is cheap to produce um, and you can produce an awful lot of doses for it fairly cheaply and you can transport it re- readily so people are going to be more inclined so to tiny. import it than yeah. with other drugs. Yep. And it's such a tiny bit. Yep. You know, when we're talking about, what were we talking about, a, a hundredth of the mm. amount, yeah, yep. of, of uh, fentanyl yep. is equivalent to you know, yeah. well, 100 times that of heroin. So we're mm. looking at minimal dosage yeah. that can be used to overdose people. And it, you don't mm. need to be surprised by that because we yeah. have naloxone, mm-hmm. yeah? And I, I'm just surprised that it, that's what it's combined with. But yeah. I just think we need to know that not just us as drug users but our families and our friends and further afield people who are in contact with drug users either uh, on a professional basis, so including them in treatment or as a volunteer in a, um, uh, a nighttime service for those people who are on the streets at night. Um, as I said before, Mel would like all McDonald's managers to carry an aloxone Oh, we just put it in first aid kits. You know, it is. Ju- it does nothing but yeah. reverse the effects of opioid overdose. Mm. And fentanyl, however very strong, is an opioid analog. So it yep. just needs to be treated as an opioid overdose. Yep, absolutely. So put it in first aid kits and just tell people it's there. It doesn't do anything else. doesn't kill people, doesn't hurt anyone, just reverses the effects of opioid overdose. Boy, that's a real soapbox issue, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so staying overseas, and um, this next one comes from the United Nations High Commission on Human Rights on the 24th of June, which is apparently the International Day f- Against Drug Abuse and Illicit Trafficking. Don't oh, no, know. in fact, that's the 26th of June, so okay. that was um, Sunday. Yeah, well, no wonder it went mm. unrecognised by us. Mm. Um, UN human rights experts have called on the international community to bring an end to the so-called war on drugs. Well, good on them. And promote drug policies that are firmly anchored in the human rights. Ahead of the International Day Against Drug Abuse which we don't like to use, and illicit trafficking on 26th of June 2022, that was Sunday, the the experts issued the following statement. 
Quote, data and experience accumulated by UN experts have shown that the war on drugs undermines health and social well-being and wastes public resources while failing to eradicate the demand for illegal drugs and the illegal drug market. Worse, this war has engendered narco-economies at the local, national and regional levels in several instances to the detriment of national development. Such policies have far-reaching negative implications for the widest um, for the widest range of human rights, including the right to personal liberty, freedom from forced labour, from ill-treatment and torture, fair trial rights, the rights to health, including palliative treatment and care, the right to adequate housing, freedom from discrimination, the right to clean and healthy environment, the right to culture and freedoms of expression, religion, assembly and association, and the right to equal treatment before the law. These policies, many of which are gender-blind, have also had a profoundly negative impact on the world's most vulnerable people, including minorities. People of African descent, Indigenous peoples, children and young people, persons with disabilities, older persons, people living with HIV, AIDS, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex persons, homeless persons, sex workers, migrants, the unemployed and ex-convicts. They Globally, might call them minorities, but collectively yeah, they're a majority. They, well, yeah, they do. I mean, mm. everybody's everybody's a part of one or another of those communities, really, yeah. when you think about mm. it. So it's, yeah, it's a strange, uh, strange to describe them as minorities, I guess. Mm. Globally, more women than men are serving prison sentences in relation to drug offences, despite their often low-level, non-violent and first-time involvement in such crimes. Often discriminatory, gender stereotypes of women's moral conduct plays a role in the disproportionate prison sentence. Absolutely. I can tell you that. These same policies also propel detrimental practices such as racial profiling and sustain the scheme of systemic and structural discrimination affecting those made vulnerable and marginalised communities, especially people with multiple intersectional identities. In a major study released in 2021, the Working Group on Arbitrary Detention found that the war on drugs had resulted in mass incarceration through racial profiling, search and seizure laws and procedures, excessive pre-trial detention, disproportionate sentencing and the criminalisation of people who use drugs, including pregnant women in some countries. The study also found widespread rights violations associated with the enforcement of drug laws, including unlawful imprisonment, the trial of children and adolescents as adults, torture and ill-treatment, lack of fair trial guarantees, extrajudicial killings, and the abusive use of the death penalty. So although the death penalty can only be imposed under international law for the most (coughs) serious crimes, which are consistently interpreted interpreted to mean acts of intentional killing, a wide range of drug-related offences are punishable by death in over 30 countries. Indeed they are. 
Everyone, without exception, has the right to life-saving harm reduction interventions. Mm -hmm. However, the coverage of harm reduction services remains very low, even though they are essential to protect people who use drugs and guarantee their right to physical and mental health. As the UN system common position on drug policy has emphasised, drug use and dependency should not be treated as a criminal matter but rather as a health issue to be addressed through rights-based measures including public health education, the provision of mental hygiene treatment, care and support, rehabilitation and transition reintegration programs. This sounds like a mighty flipping attitude, doesn't it? Mm, well, I think this is from the... Um, the human, from the Human Rights, yeah, part. Human Rights okay. Council as opposed to the, um, the anti-drugs mob. And uh, the UN okay. Office on Drugs of Drugs and Crime. Oh, right, that makes more sense, yeah. Moreover, the threat of imprisonment should not be used as a coercive tool to incentivise people into drug treatment. Drug treatment should always be voluntary and based on informed consent and left, left exclusively to health professionals. To this end, all compulsory drug treatment centres should be closed. Mm. The forced eradication of crops in the context of drug control policies can lead to loss of life due to the excessive use of force by security forces. Aerial spraying of hazardous substances used to kill illegal crops uh, can cause serious harm to the environment, subsistence harvest and clean and safe water, as well as the health, economic and financial independence and welfare and well-being of indigenous peoples and peasant communities, especially women. The implementation of forced eradication programs without respecting the right of affected peoples and individuals to information and participation in the decisional process is also of concern. The United Nations system, the international community and individual member states have a historical responsibility to reverse the devastation brought about by decades of global war on drugs. We collectively call on the member states and all UN agencies to ground their drug policy responses in international human rights law and standards. Furthermore, states and international bodies that provide financial or technical assistance on drug policy should ensure that these policies are gender responsive while upholding and actively seeking to protect human rights and fundamental freedoms. We urge member states and international bodies to supersede their current drug policies with ones grounded in the principles of the application of a comprehensive restorative and reintegrative justice approach. Effective community-based inclusive preventive measures are equally important. Now, more than ever, the international community must replace punishment with support and promote policies that respect, protect and fulfil the rights of all communities. Mm. Which is a the difficulty with that is it's a very tedious thing to listen to. Yes. Yeah, yeah very All three-syllable words, yeah. yeah. And, mm. and emotive language, yeah. yeah. You mm. really need short sentence with sentences with two-syllable words that yeah. hit people in the guts, mm. and that doesn't. Yeah. Even though it says exactly what we want it to say, you know, which is it's a human rights issue, it's a health issue, 
and who are you discriminating against? Stop those silly war on drugs policies. But it says it in such a way as I would be asleep mm. before that was halfway yeah. finished. And the other thing is you always get the feeling they're kind of hedging their bets, that they, they're saying all of this knowing that it's no not going to happen. As no action is going to be happening. And well, a they, lot of the they don't provide are, it. They don't provide yeah. dot point actions, mm-hmm. you know, practical applications of this stuff, do they? No. And that's what people are seeking. Yeah. And the yeah. other thing is that the war on drugs has always been used as a political weapon. You know, it's part of the whole culture war. Yep. And it's what politicians, particularly in democracies, but you know, even in dictatorships, used to whip up popular support is because by creating it's very emotive. This other which is an enemy. Yep. You know, they're like terrorists, only, you know, I mean, there's far more drug users than there are terrorists out there. I reckon. So, yep. you know, we can make these people look like they're a very big enemy and we can exclude them and we can treat them like an enemy and treat this like a real war. Because all what they're always other. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And this is what's happened in the Philippines. It's happened for years and years in Mexico. And, you know, it happens in China. It happens in Iran. It's happened it's in the US There isn't anywhere it doesn't happen. It'd be easier to count where it doesn't happen, Dave. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree. And it makes... It's too floral. The language is too floral. Mm. But it yep. makes sense. that The whole thing makes sense. But, as you know, we was, as I said... It yeah. doesn't provide practical steps that mm. can guide um, member nations, if you like, yeah. to an outcome that would be able would be covered by this statement mm. from the human rights yeah. people, because we've talked about the human rights of drug users yeah. and having agency over yourself as a drug user, which just surprised me when mm. Jeff raised it. Yeah. From, you know, INPUD, the International Network of People Who Use Drugs. They put out human rights for drug users and I thought, I've never thought of not having human rights mm. as a drug user but always been riddled with guilt yeah. by being one. So, mm. you know, that, and that's the first thing that we need to get over is the guilt of being a drug user. Yeah. Anyway, that just it's a... It's a great piece of work in mm. terms of what it means, but yeah. in practical application it kind mm. of runs off the edge of the page and yeah. off a cliff. And I guess the issue is that there's a good many countries in the world where human rights aren't taken all that seriously, let alone human rights for drug Absolutely. users. Absolutely, yeah. Talk about going down the ladder mm. of um, success, human rights for drug users. Yeah. It's like contradiction in terms, isn't mm. it? <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to a song now, and this is uh, Tracy Chapman with Fast Car. Applause. <laughs> just discussing what a beautiful song that is. Yeah, it's just gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, that was Tracy Chapman with Fast Cars. Fast Car, sorry. <laughs> um, so this next story comes from J.R. Illigan from Rappler on the 21st of June. What happened to the discourse on the drug war during the elections? They're actually talking about the Filipino elections here. Mm. So um, regular listeners, particularly regular listeners who have listened to this show for the last few years will know we report quite frequently on the state of affairs with the drug war in the Philippines where the 
um, then President Rodrigo Duterte essentially um, gave Murdered. his yeah gave his police um, carte blanche to go around murdering people. Well, yeah, gave them a didn't they give you give them a per capita um, yeah. reward system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's been a month since the 2022 national le- elections and at this point the Philippines is set to have Bong Bong Marcos sit as president come July. Despite leading the pre-electoral surveys and subsequently winning the presidency by a landslide, many Filipino citizens clamoured against Bong Bong's pres- presidency because of his unwillingness to acknowledge any wrongdoings of his family during the martial law era. In short, the fact that accountability remained elusive for the Marcoses and for Bong Bong's run for presidency shows that they would continue to be protected from any form of justice. Mm. Leading up to the elections and shortly after, we felt the protest of a Filipino collective against the Marcoses. We saw it all over social media and the news. We heard it in interpersonal conversations and possibly even engaged in such talk. We cannot allow Bong Bong Marcos to sit as president after his father's regime killed, tortured and imprisoned tens of thousands of students, activists, civil leaders and opposition politicians. But corruption aside, which is another major issue with the Marcoses, the talk surrounding the martial law victims was a major counter-discourse against legitimising Bong Bong as the Filipinos' highest elected government official. Personally, I agree with all these sentiments. I do believe that given the Marcos' family's history of corruption and human rights violations, having Bong Bong sit as president is frightening. In a way, his willing, winning implies a legitimisation of historical revisionism and an absolving of their past crimes. In fact, he even stated that one of his major goals as president would be to clear his family's name, which in turn would create an alternative and falsified history of the Philippines. Mm. Due to this, continuing to engage in this kind of counter-discourse is important so that the atrocities done in the name of the Marcoses are not forgotten. Indeed. However, a majority of those that oppose the Marcoses seem to have hyper-focused on Bong Bong's presidential run and let Sarah Duterte's run for vice president slide. The pair of presidents, the pair of candidates, have an eerily, eerie similarity between them. They are both children of strong men, presidents, against Bong Bong's, uh, with, sorry, with a record of tens of thousands of human rights violations. The collective protest against Bong Bong's presidency was strong and anchored on the family's history of corruption and human rights violations. But what happened to the clamour against Sarah Duterte and her father's war on drugs that has claimed upwards of 30,000 lives, a count that surpasses that of Ferdinand Marcos? Prior to the spread of fake news about martial law, those victimised by Ferdinand Marcos's regime had been positioned as upstanding members of society by the Filipino public. As much as Marcos had used red tagging as a way of labelling those people as threats to public safety, the Filipino collective was aware that these people were not what these labels were saying. 
In fact, many of these victims included political opponents, student activists, journalists, religious workers, farmers and civil leaders. That's not a major surprise, is it, Mm. when you think about it, Dave, that that's what it turned out to be, labelling of people that were on the other side. Mm. Um, uh, The demographics of those victims made it clear that the Filipino public and subsequent generations that Marcos was targeting those who spoke out against him. Hang on. I've gone to the wrong spot. No. No, no you're at the right spot. No, you're right, workers. Yeah, you're right, I am. Thank you. According to Amnesty International, historians believe that Marcos's regime was marked by 3,000-plus extrajudicial killings, 35,000-plus tortures, 70-plus disappearances, and 70,000-plus imprisonments. Because the majority of the victims of martial law were ordinary members of society. It appears that the people remembered, for a time, the bloody regime of Ferdinand Marcos. As for Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs, from the very beginning he was clear about his directives, shoot to kill. During his campaign, Duterte publicly stated that he would go on a killing spree against those involved in the business of drugs. By doing this from the start, he was able to garner the consent of the public to carry out a war against drug users and drug lords, a population of Filipino citizens that was already positioned as a menace to society. He didn't need to hide his intents to go to war against these people. He did so loudly and proudly because his public statements legitimised his extrajudicial killings given that his war victims, his war's victims, were those involved in drugs, people that society had already turned its back against. Of course, um, simply being killed at that point in time um, defined you as a person who who was involved with drugs. Um, You didn't have to be involved in drugs to be killed by the police at that point in time, but if you were killed by the police... You obviously were involved with drugs, Mm -hmm. so it was just a turnaround of the logic. My grandmother has no teeth. Ducks Mm -hmm. have no teeth, therefore my grandmother's a duck. That kind of logic. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. The result, 30,000-plus deaths of fellow Filipino citizens, many of whom were poor and small fry in the drug industry, or indeed wrongfully accused for the sake of bolstering drug operation numbers. No major dent in the actual system of drugs in the country. Now, I'm in no way blaming the Filipino people for getting what had happened in the past six years, but I'm instead trying to show how the way that collectives and leaders talk about phenomena and the people within them, such as martial law, the war on drugs and their victims, can change the way that things are remembered in history. As Bong Bong's presidency approaches, human rights groups have urged Bong Bong to stop the war on drugs, but Rodrigo Duterte himself requested Bong Bong to continue the fight against drugs in his own way. Given the history of bonbons and Sarah's fathers with human rights violations, it's important that we continue to clamour against the possibility of continuing these anti-drug operations set forth by Rodrigo Duterte. As much as the talk about the victims of martial law is imperative to fight against the trend of alternative history and fake news, it's just important that we, as people, 
Also, never forget the blood spilt by Duterte's regime by continuing to engage in talk and protest against the Philippi- killing of fellow Filipinos. Absolutely. Mm. That's a really good article, J.R. Elegan Rappler. Yeah. Yeah. What's mm. Rappler? Is that a magazine or a yeah, website? Rappler's a, well, it's a website, okay. I think, essentially. Well, but it is a periodical. Yeah. Um, so it's a magazine, but it's not. Pub, it's only published on the web. It's a that's a really interesting article. I'm really glad that somebody's come out because rewriting history is such a regular occurrence for big mm-hmm. populist leaders. Yeah, or you know, writing their own version of history, becoming mm. their reputation, or becoming yeah. their. Um, and therefore rewriting history, yeah? yeah, being able to rewrite history. It seems to be such a, a popular way to go. If you can get into um, to some area of government and, and have access, mm. the writers of history have so much power. Yeah. That's why the war on drugs has been so able to gain traction mm. yeah. and popularity because people will rewrite history to suit themselves. Yeah. And it just... You know, we've suffered for it for 60 years and I'm, it's exhausting. But if people aren't called out on it mm. publicly, continue. it yeah. will continue. But uh, so, yeah, really, I. it's so nice to hear from somebody from that country say, yeah, call them out and say, yeah, yeah look what's happening. Say this. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so we're going to go to another song now uh, This is The Clash with Hateful You're listening to News from the Drug Warfront Brought to you by Karma and Connection Here on People Powered Radio 2XX 98.3 FM And the time is just coming up to quarter to twelve mm, So we're right on the downhill bit So we'll just go to Columbia, I think, election I think before we go to that yeah. We needed to give a shout out to oh, our dude, regular right, presenter. Did. Yeah, mm. Jeffrey. Hello, Jeffrey, darling. How are you? Big shout out to you. I hope you're feeling well. Good on you, Dave, for reminding me. Because <laughs> like, I was only talking to him just mm. before I came on the show, and I wanted to give you that. So, hooray for Dave with a memory. Now, can we go? We'll go to the Columbia election. Just yep. maybe our last article for today, because it's a. Anyway, look. Columbia election 2022, failed U.S. war on drugs in doubt after country elects its first left-wing president. This is from Michael Day, inews.co.uk, from the 21st of the 6th, 2022. The election of the first ever leftist leader in Colombia, Latin America's most conservative country, suggests that the U.S. is no longer the boss in its own backyard. New president and former guerrilla fighter Gustavo Petro has horrified Colombia's conservative establishment and signalled that the leftist wave sweeping Latin America is still going strong. I hope that's frightening the hell out of, um, what's his name from Brazil? Uh, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, yeah. yeah. I hope that he's shivering in his boots. Mm. The recent election of left-wing leaders in Chile, Honduras, Peru and Bolivia had already prompted talk of another pink tide of the type that swept in leaders such as Evo Morales in Bolivia and Lula in Brazil in the early 20, well, 2000s. 
On Monday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken congratulated Petro on his victory with an appropriately diplomatic language. But tensions between Washington and the nation that has until now been its closest ally in the region seem inevitable. The first casualty may be America's war on drugs. Petro, the 62-year-old former mayor of the capital, Bogota, has signalled that he wants to end the failed policy that has done nothing to reduce the production and export of Colombian cocaine while creating a blood-soaked black market and environmental destruction with the indiscriminate spraying of pesticides to destroy the coca crops. In May, Petro asked whether the, quote, the million dead Latin Americans, the majority Colombians and Mexicans, has been worth it, end quote, in an interview with Samana magazine. God, the quote goes on, drugs are so demonised that it's politically correct to say, let's ban them and start a war. But we never consider the consequences, Petro said. So far, officials in the Biden administration appear determined to stick to a plan and maintain the half a trillion dollar a year drugs underground economy. Petro has said he wants to legalise marijuana, but this drug is already illegal in over 20 US states. So that's not exactly earth shattering. The big news concerns Petro's plans for cocaine. Christopher Sabatini, the Senior Research Fellow for Latin America at the Chatham House Think Tank, says there'll be a shift in Colombia's drug policy. I think Colombia will be in a stronger position now in putting the drug issue on the table to dictate changes to US policy. And Petro has indicated he wants to treat cocaine abuse more as a health issue than a crime. And he wants to wean peasants off growing coca by investing in agricultural development, though this will rely upon moving some of the criminal remnants of guerrilla groups such as FARC from their coca fields. Mm. Petro's attitude to extradition of Colombian drug lords may prove to be another source of tension with Washington. The new president is not alone in claiming that Colombia's authorities have used extradition to prevent traffickers from revealing to Colombia's drug justice system their links with high-ranking politicians and military officers. And Colombia's relations with Venezuela could prove another bone of contention. But with the Biden administration softening its approach to the Maduro regime in Venezuela in an attempt to unlock some of its oil, a Petro administration in Colombia might equally prove to be a useful diplomatic bridge with Caracas in Venezuela. Mm. This will all change, of course, if Trump or his ilk return to the White House in 2024. But ahead of that, or even at the ominous midterm US polls, other events will decide the significance of Petro's breakthrough election victory. In October, Brazil's rejuvenated left-wing populist Lula may have a chance to return to power when he takes on the far-right incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. The left-wing presidency in Latin America's most powerful country and the world's eighth-largest economy will probably energise Latin America's spirit of independence even further. Sabatini says, quote, If Lula is re-elected, we could see a much more independent, muscular policy towards the United States, 
with which other Latin American countries could fall in line or would fall in line. But before then, Pero... Petro. Yeah, yeah, there should be a T there. Yeah. Despite having won the election fair and square, will have to survive some bitter economic headwinds and open hostility from the conservative elite that remains powerful in politics, business and the media. Quote, I think his political honeymoon will be short, says Sapatini. No doubt Petro would shore up the support of many of those who voted for him if he succeeds in creating a fairer society with his plans for free health care and tax reforms. He has picked Francia, Francia Marquez, a single mother and former housekeeper, as Colombia's first black woman to be vice president. Marquez is an environmental activist whose opposition to gold mining in her hometown of Suarez saw her receive the prestigious Goldman Environmental Prize in 2018, as well as death threats from criminal groups. By, de- by getting the state's hands on private pension pots and seeking to end oil exploration in a climate-centred policy approach, the government will make plenty of enemies. Petro will have a tough time delivering on his promises because he lacks a majority in a fragmented Congress Compromise and careful coalition building will be his his priority as he seeks to build a more equal society already rocked by civil war, crime, COVID and now a world economic lockdown. Mm. And, you know, when you talk about crime, they're really powerful criminal groups. They they are. And they are well subsidised. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they're better equipped than the um, Colombian army because they're equipped by the Americans. That's right. Mm. uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, if the Ukraine could get access to some of the rockets that, Mm. um, although... I don't know. I'm very sad about Ukraine too. We've mm. heard a bit about the drug users there, but the yeah. the change of government in um, Colombia is a uh, it's a real drop in the bucket in terms of what can happen. Mm. But in South America, it's actually quite a big drop in the bucket. Yeah, it's a yeah. quite an important step mm. to have drug use sent in a, another way other than a US-centred way. That's yeah, right. Or U, yeah. US-determined way, mm. which is what we've always found, I guess, with every country in the world. The war on drugs is a term straight from the United States of yeah. America mm-hmm. and it is picked up and run with because it is politically expedient to do so. That's right. In every case, not necessarily a mm. political position, it yeah. is a political position mm. and has been for 60 bloody years. Yeah, well, certainly it became a much more political position um, when in 1972 with Richard Nixon's Southern Strategy and he Absolutely. made it a war on drugs. But in fact, he, when you think about it, retrospectively, if you think about what Richard Nixon was doing, I think yep. he was probably saying, nothing to see here, look over here, mm-hmm. you know, war on drugs. Yep. And, and an impersonal other mm-hmm. a war on drugs. Drugs don't fight. Yep. So it's an impersonal other to have the population directing their emotional energy towards saying, "Let's we'll have a war on drugs because drugs don't fight back. Yeah. Forgetting that he used drugs 
as mm. did John Kennedy, as did most people yeah. who are ageing and have any kind of illness at all. They use drugs. Mm. How do you have war on drugs Yeah, when everyone's using them? I mean, tell me Boris Johnson doesn't use drugs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that guy ruffles his hair, so he looks mm. cuter when he yeah. goes on air before he goes before the camera. Does he ruffle his own hair or does someone put him in a headlock? And no, <laughs> he does it himself. I'm sure he mm. can ruffle his own yeah. hair. I've mm-hmm. seen him do it. That's why. Oh, okay. I know he does it himself. Just before he goes before the cameras, every time. It's horrendous. <laughs> anyway, that brings us uh, to oh, the yes, close of another indeed. edition of News from the Drug Warfront, brought yes. to you by Karma and the Connection. Um, we'll be going to Lunchbox, I think, after yeah, this. Yeah, we, well, we will at first. Oh, look, I'd really like to um, send a shout out. I know um, Chris is working hard. Yeah. Still on the uh, drug laws. Mm-hmm. In, well, I mean, he's not doing it all himself, but he's, he is, you know, our front line. And I yeah. just wanted to congratulate him on his, because I don't see him very often, but I yeah. just think listeners should know Karma's role in, in creating the drug laws and how they, um, how they relate to us mm-hmm. as humans yeah. is actually carried by Chris in his work and what he's doing. So because we don't see him a lot around the place doesn't mean he's not doing anything. What he's doing is representing our interests at the political level. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I wanted to say good on you, Chris, for doing that just from basically from the radio show and also from our listeners who don't, yeah see Chris all that much. And the outcomes in Canberra have really been phenomenal, you know, with um, the decriminalisation of small quantities of drugs. Now, I yeah. know that that's, that's not the final aim. It doesn't end the war on drugs. No, no, um, but it changes it. The, uh, fundam- the fu- yeah. foundations will be changed mm-hmm. if we look at it differently, and yep. that's what I think we're working towards doing. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Dave, for being here. And thank me, Marion, for being here. It's been a pleasure doing business with you. And And we'll uh, see you next week. Look after yourselves, my dears. Yes, take care. We love you all. Take care. Bye. Bye.